Well, thank you for joining us here at Stevenson High Kirk in North Ayrshire. This is the last of our summer pre-recorded devotions, so I look forward to being with you all next week, Lord willing. Well, we're so grateful to the Reverend Alan Ford for sharing over these past three weeks. Well, Alan will also be sharing at the High Kirk this morning for our morning service at 10.30. Once again, can I remind you that if you would like to join us, then please pre-book a space. Information for booking will appear at the end of this video, or why not visit our website at stevensonhighkirk.com. Well, in Psalm 145, we read, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. And so let's worship together in our opening hymn, Praise to the Lord.
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, we now read from the Word of God as we read from 1 Samuel chapter 2 at verse 12 and through to verse 26. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, Let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want. The servant would then answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with men. Amen. And may the Lord bless to us the reading of his precious word. Over the last couple of weeks we've read of how little Samuel was brought to the temple effectively to be apprenticed to the old priest Eli. Eli didn't have an easy life. Eli served as a a priest and judge of Israel for 40 years. It wasn't an easy time in which to exercise leadership. Israel had no centralised government and everyone we read did what was right in his own eyes, including Eli's own sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They abused the sacrificial system committed immorality with the women at the tabernacle. They weren't fit to be priests and Eli did not have his sorrows to seek with these two sons. 
They abused the tabernacle, the worship, the worshippers, and effectively they stole from God. They were a thoroughly bad lot. And we can feel sorry for Eli. They not only did wrong themselves, but they inveigled their servants into assisting them in the corruption. Eli was in a position to put a stop to these abuses, but he was not equal to the task. Eli was either unable to restrain his sons or to remove them from priesthood, and he and his descendants eventually fell under the scathing judgment of God. We might accuse Eli of being too soft, but the truth is that his sons were rotten to the core and would not listen to the older and wiser father. And yet one bright spot of hope emerged from Eli's household. The boy Samuel, who in contrast to Eli's wicked sons, followed the Lord and grew up to be one of Israel's greatest judges. Let's look at the household of Eli as we find it from 1 Samuel 2 and from verse 12 onwards. The priests got their daily food from the offerings and they did so by the simple means of taking a piece of cooked meat from the uh, pot where it boiled and that was accepted custom of course since it had been cooked it was free from blood it would be uh, a boring diet but perhaps but in the ancient world people didn't have the varied diet that we have today indeed I'm sure that all of us can remember when our diet was not very varied either in my lifetime I've discovered new foods such as pizza pasta hamburgers and a variety of curries and dishes from countries around the world that doesn't even touch on the variety of bread which used to be just plain or pan in any case Eli's two sons wanted steak and they wanted the meat given to them raw, effectively before it had been given to God. And they wanted it with the fat on it, which was effectively stealing from God's sacrifice. They wanted it with the blood still in it. And if the person making the sacrifice didn't agree, then he was threatened with violence. Something which, again, was entirely contrary to any acceptable conduct near the tabernacle. Effectively, worshippers were being coerced into sin by the two priestly sons of Eli, whom we will learn later were called Phineas and Hophni. They were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Basically, they saw it as theirs rather than God's offering, and they were stealing from God for their own financial gain. The shamed American televangelists would be quite at home with this pair. In verse 18 we find the opposite when we turn away for a moment or two considering the wickedness of his sons and look to the young Samuel who is growing up to be a fine young man. The writer records that Samuel wore an ephod. In Exodus we have this ephod described, this uh, uniform if you like. Make the ephod of gold, of blue, purple, scarlet yarn, the finely twisted linen, the work of a skilled craftsman. It is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners so that it can be fastened. The skillfully woven waistband is to be like it, 
of one piece with the ephod and made with gold and with blue, purple and scarlet yarn and with finely twisted linen. And then it speaks of onyx stones engraved on them, the names of the sons of Israel uh, in the order of their birth, six names on one stone and the remaining six in the other. And then the names of the sons of Israel and the two stones that weigh a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and place them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod. It's quite a, how can we put it, quite a glamorous um, bit of kit. It really is quite something. Uh, a bit of bling, I think, would be a good expression. And it's the best cloth. And there's to be gold bells and pomegranates uh, to alternate round the hem of the robe, and it was to be worn by the priests. It seemed an awful lot for a little boy, but from his earliest age he acted as a priest, probably 20 years younger initially than any other priest who ministered at the tabernacle. Hannah may have given up her son to the priesthood. But she never forgot him. Each year she brought him a gift of a larger and larger ephod, a larger and larger robe. We read each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to the offer the annual sacrifice. That was one half of what they did each year, but there was more. Old Eli did not forget Hannah's sacrifice. And we read that Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. And then they'd go home. It happened. The woman who had been childless so long had another three sons and two daughters, and we might be sure that she had enough to do with them. Sam, however, was growing. Hannah would see the change in him every time she went to the tabernacle. Writer describes Samuel in a lovely way. He says of Samuel that he grew up in the presence of the Lord. I was minded when I read that verse again to think of a sunflower which grows big and tall and always faces towards the sun, wherever in the sky it may be. Samuel was like that sunflower. He grew up in the presence of the Lord. Everywhere he went from dawn to dusk, as we see right through the night as well, he was conscious that he was in the presence of the living God. And while Samuel was growing up as uh, an exemplary young priest devoted to God, Eli's sons were the other side of the coin. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who are served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. They didn't clear exactly who these women were who served at the tabernacle. These are the only references to women concerned. However, there may be a delicate reference here to prostitution, where the women plied their trade with the visiting pilgrims, something which was clearly happened in other religions, but which was expressly forbidden to Jews. It's an altogether strange reference and nothing in my searching has found a clear answer to who these women were because the prostitution theory does not sit well at all with what we know of the customs 
and practices but then neither does Phineas and Hophni's way of dealing with the sacrifices. In any case Eli knows what his sons have been up to. He tries to explain to them the seriousness of what they are doing. There's far more obnoxious than the sin of others. Why do you do such things? I hear from the, all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it's not good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? And their sin is not against another man, it's against God. And God will deal with them. But these two sons are so far gone in sin that they ignore their father. I reckon they've broken seven out of ten of the commandments. And they're so far gone into sin that their lives and actions are a mockery of God and his worship. There's no telling them. His sons, however, didn't listen to their father's rebuke. If it was the Lord's will, we understand. To eventually put them to death. Meantime, about Samuel, the writer tells us, the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with men. Eli, like many a parent, looked to his children so that as they grew he could be proud of them. It never happened. Eli is like many a parent who themselves are godly people but somehow their children do not follow the Lord. Indeed they seem to take pride in rejecting God and his ways at every opportunity. It's really sad when your children give you troubled nights rather than be a blessing to you as you grow old. Parents sometimes ask themselves where they went wrong. I've come to a conclusion that the parents cannot be wholly blamed and each child from birth has its own personality and sometimes in spite of all the best efforts of godly parents the child does not grow up in the Lord's way. Though often I've seen the wayward child at last turn to God in later years, sometimes just in time for the parents to see it happen. I suppose we'd all like a Samuel for a son rather than a Phineas and Hophni. But Samuel was in some ways to fear no better, for as he grew older, his sons were only marginally better than Phineas and Hophni, and Samuel in later life experienced the sadness and despair that Eli had felt. Eli's sons weren't fit to take over the priesthood from their father, but God was already preparing the man who would. He'd been preparing him before he was born, Samuel. God prepares us all the years of our lives for what he wants from us. We may never be a Samuel, but God does have a purpose for the life of each one of us. There's a modern hymn which puts it this way. I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God while I am alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. Oh, I delight, I delight to do your will. I want to build with silver and gold in my generation. I want to build with silver and gold while I am alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. Oh, I delight, I delight to do your will. What is in your heart 
tell me what do you have that is most precious to you let me know your will and I will follow you other words at the end of that hymn do we want to serve the Lord in our generation and if so how will we serve let us pray gracious Lord and Father we want to serve you in this day and in this generation to really say to you take our lives and let us be consecrated Lord to thee Lord we want to be the people like Samuel not like Phineas and Hophni we want to be like Samuel to grow in stature to grow in our love for the Lord to grow in holiness to grow more and more each day in your service and to provide fruit for your kingdom Lord, take us and use us as you will, and to you be all the glory. Amen.
now going to invite Bethany to come and lead us in our intercessory prayers. Thanks, Bethany. Let us unite our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we praise you for the blessings of your love, for your mercies, which are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But most of all, we thank you for your unspeakable gift in Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Saviour. Lord, you have taught us to make prayers for all people. As we present ourselves before you, we also present our loved ones, our families, our streets and our communities. As we pray for the wider world, direct and govern the hearts of all kings and queens, presidents and prime ministers, rulers and magistrates, MPs and MSPs, councillors and those in positions of authority and influence. We continue to remember our NHS and those in social care and those working in our emergency services. Guide the minds and hearts of all those in the science field who are working so hard to keep on top of the different variants of COVID-19. We especially lift up those most affected by COVID-19 May they experience a wonderful measure of healing upon their lives, especially as the vaccines are being rolled out. We lift up those who feel saddened and overwhelmed, whether through loss or grief, through pain or sorrow, through ill health or mental anguish, through uncertainty or unemployment, or through disappointment and discouragement. We think of those war-torn nations around the world, and those who are experiencing turmoil and civil discontent. Grant seasons of healing, refreshing and renewal. Bring hope in the midst of all the darkness. Jesus, may we now come under your wings, for you are our shield in every battle and a refuge in every storm. May you be glorified in all things, and in your glorious name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Bethany, for leading us in our prayers this morning. Well, we're now going to sing in our closing hymn, I Will Sing the Wondrous Story.
strength of the Lord and the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, be with us and remain with us now and always. Amen.